merciful Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy, righteous, awesome, this is who you are. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven today. Jesus Christ, our hope is in you alone. You are the cornerstone of this church, of our lives. You are the head of this church. Help us to love you more today. Oh, Lord, give us ears to hear your word to us this morning. And let us be so quick to humble ourselves, Lord. Help us in humility today. Help us to hear and to receive and have hearts to respond to your beautiful word today. Holy Spirit, fill my mouth and say what you want to say. Guard it from error. And I pray right now we would be removing every distraction, Lord, from this past week and, and the inner turmoil or the external noise that is around us. And in faith, we just lay that down, cast our anxieties on you because we know that you care for us. Oh, Lord, unite your church to fear your name today. And Jesus Christ, get all of the glory. And it is in your awesome, precious, and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. I love you so much. So thankful to be able to open up God's word together again. So let's do that. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40 today. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Well, if you recall from last week, we kicked off our first mini-series of the year called Discover hope and whether uh, you've been a part of this church for the last five years or the last five days it's so good and so important that we launch into the new ministry year with this series that zeroes in on who and what we are all about here at hope ottawa and so last week we looked at the mission that Jesus Christ has entrusted his church with and what he calls his church to uphold if it is to see that mission fulfilled and to see him preeminent in all things and exalted in all things. And so last week we looked at the what the mission was and the how Jesus calls us to see that fulfilled in his power. And what was that called? That was called the Great Commission, the great mandate from our King, Jesus Christ, the head of this church, and his commission to us, the one mission he's given is to make disciples. And so if you came in the theater today and you would have seen this roll-up banner, and right, right at the front in the lobby, you'll see this, the mission statement of this church that says, to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. That's the mission of the church. It's not changing. Let's get after it. But I want you to notice something on that mission statement. It says on the end there, in the spirit of the great commandment. Now that's just not some tagline to end the mission statement really sounding all nicely. It's there intentionally and it is very important. Why is it so important? Well, because the great commandment, get this loved ones today, the great commandment must be the motive for or the heart behind the mission. All right. It is, has to be the motive for why we make disciples to see God 
glorified. And why does that have to be the motive for all that we do, the heart behind all that we do? Because the great commandment is the command. It is the command that faithfulness to every other command in God's word depends on. Kind of a big deal there, right? It's the, the command that faithfulness to all other commands in God's word depends on. If I could sum it up, I'd say it this way. If you get this command right, if you get the great commandment right, it's really hard to get all the other things wrong. It's really hard to get all the other things wrong. It is the foundation. And what is that command? The great command, it is the command to love. To love God and to love others. But there's a problem that you and I face today and it is a doozy. And that problem is, is that instead of being increasingly motivated by a growing love for God vertically first and then others horizontally, our motive for why we do what we do often is motivated by a love for self. A love for self. And as we look around this world today, we can even look in our own lives today, we see the results of this disunity. We see this in the church. We see this across the world. There's division. There's disunity. Uh, there's selfishness. It leads us to love for self leads to living in pride and not humility. And it leads ultimately to mission drift. It leads to mission drift away from the Great Commission. Why? Because the Great Commandment, get this today, church, the Great Commandment is the only is the only enduring motivation for the Great Commission. If we are going to see it, the Great Commission fulfilled, we need to be increasingly fulfilling the Great Commandment. And so here in our text, we see two truths that we must believe and apply increasingly if we are to live out this commandment and stay faithful to the mission that Jesus has entrusted us with of making disciples of all nations. All right, can't wait to get into this. Let's grab our Bibles. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word and let's read together. Let's read it aloud. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Let's go. The great commandment. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Now he's going to go and ask Jesus this question. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, that is Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, Amen. Amen, church. You may be seated. Well, it's so clear to see from these verses that the motive for our mission must be love. And we must love God with all that we are. The motive for our mission must be love, and we must love God with all we are. This is where it starts. What does it mean? Total devotion. A total 
devotion. See, Jesus wants all of you. Jesus wants all of me devoted to him. Question confronting us today. Is he your greatest love? Is Jesus your greatest love? Let's get our context right out of the text from verses 34 to 36. Let's read this together. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? All right, let's unpack what's going on here. It's Jesus' final week of ministry. And it's three days before his crucifixion. And Jesus is in Jerusalem in the temple courtyard teaching on the kingdom of God. So we see two groups right here. Verse 34, go back to the text. First group we see is the Pharisees, this religious leaders of Jerusalem. Now, the word Pharisee there, the Greek word means separatist or a purist separate from sin. Do we have any separatists in the room right now? Any separatists from sin? Say, yeah, they sin, but I don't. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, good. We're all on the same page. All right. Pharisee means one set apart from sin. Now, these Pharisees, they were known as the keepers of the law. Now, uh, right now, at this time, there are about 6,000 of them, and uh, they had great influence. Great influence with the common people, but they sought the praise of men. They lived for the praise and glory of man. And, and how did they do this? Well, they sought the praise of people by observing external rituals, external rituals like fasting or going on to street corners and saying these loud uh, rambling prayers. So everyone would be like, Ooh, ah, look how holy they are. Or they, they sought the praise of men by their good works that they would do. And and they prided themselves on their works to uphold the law. What's the law? The Old Testament. Okay? But the issue here was that they were so concerned with upholding it that they added a whole bunch of man-made legalistic rules that you couldn't break because they didn't even want you getting close to breaking God's word. So they added a whole bunch of man-made rules and made them biblical truth that you weren't faithful to God if you didn't follow their rules, all right? So there was heavy, heavy legalism, and they were teaching these people that they had to abide by their man-made rules, all right? So there's the Pharisees. Now, the second group of religious leaders we see here, go back to the text, verse 34, you see it's the Sadducees. Now, these were a little different than the Pharisees. These were wealthy members of the highest class of society, and the Sadducees had political power. They were in with the Roman government, okay? Now, they opposed the Pharisees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees, they didn't like each other because, again, the Pharisees hated the idea about being under Roman rule, but the Sadducees were in with the Roman government. So they had this constant tension going on. They're trying to discredit one another, but they were united in one thing, and that was their opposition against Jesus, Right? And so when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, just in the preceding verses here in a debate about marriage, 
Now the Pharisees are like, okay, he's discredited the statues. This is our chance. They're like licking their chops. So you notice what they do. They gather together. They're huddling up in this little purist huddle. And here they are to take a crack at trapping Jesus because they wanted to establish credibility in the eyes of the people. If we can get Jesus, we're ahead of the Sadducees. We are good. Now you notice their strategy in verse 35. Do you see it? What do they do to try to trap Jesus? They send a lawyer. They send a lawyer. Man, I would not want to be this guy. Okay, he's about to try to test Jesus with the law. It's like trying to beat God in jeopardy. How do you think that's going to go? Right? This guy's got no chance. Right? He's talking to the God. He's talking to the God who wrote the book. Anyway, it's just like he's got no chance. But this lawyer, he's an expert of the law. He and the Old Testament and, and explaining the law and applying it. And he they send him out, you see right there. Not because they actually want to learn, but because they want to test Jesus maliciously. Now, what is this Old Testament law? They're about to test one. Well, this is the law that God gave Moses in the wilderness of how God's people were to live in right relationship with him and one another. And so the Old Testament, right, the Old Testament law includes the Ten Commandments that many of us are familiar with, but it also includes the 613 other commandments that God had given to his people. And that's located in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, that's the law of God that was given to the people. Now, you, know, you notice what this lawyer asked in verse 36. I'm still feeling bad for him over here. How about you? You know, I, he asked Jesus, he says, which out of all these commands, 613 commands, which out of all these commands is the greatest? The Greek word there means megos, the widest, the largest, the biggest, right? Which is the greatest or the one of central importance, the one that exceeds all the other commands? All right? And now look what Jesus responds with, 37 and 38. Let's go. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, here's the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. See, Jesus answers this, catch this, loved ones, that of all the commands, 613 commands, 10 commandments, he says, the greatest commandment of God is not some external ritual. Man, that would fly in the face of the Pharisees, right? He says, it's not some external ritual, but it is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind. And the gospel of Mark adds strength. If I could sum up what Jesus is saying here, he says, every part of us, every part, our complete being, all that we are and all that we have are to love the Lord with a total devotion. A total devotion. Now, if you've been a Christian for a number of years now, or you've heard this passage or read it before, you may be like, okay, I get that. You know, I got to love God overall. Okay, I'm there. You know, I, I love God. I love God more than anything. And, and so, okay, next command, please. I got this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Let's pull the reins back. Everyone go like this. It's time to pull the reins back. There you go. Pull them back. Let's really break down what Jesus is saying here. Ready? Here's what he says. Every thought you have, 
every feeling you have. Every desire that you have. And everything that you say and do in every second of your life. Everything upon which your heart is set on. Everything about which your mind is captivated by. Here it is, ready? Is to be an expression of your love for God. And you will love nothing and no one else more than him. He is to be your first love in every part of you. Wow. Everyone say, wow. Any loved ones? Just look at this past week. Look at the thoughts you entertained. The conversations that you had. The tones that you used in those conversations. The actions that you did. How's that going? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart soul, mind, and strength. How's it going? Let's be honest. Does anyone else but me right now think they need a savior? They need a savior for this? Put your hand up. You need a savior? Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. And you may say, you may hear that command, and I pray that's really convicting for us today because Jesus leaves no wiggle room here. And you may hear that to you today, and you say, okay, so I want to love the Lord with all of my feelings and thoughts and, and actions and words and all of these things. But practically, what does this look like in the day today? Because it's so easy to hear this command and be like, okay, love God, I got that. I'll just love God and, and go about, what, what does he practically mean? What does it practically look like to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? See, if Jesus says it's the greatest command and the one that is central to him being exalted and preeminent in all things in our lives and in this church, and it is central to us staying faithful on mission, then loved ones, would you agree we need to be clear on exactly what Christ is talking about here? That, yeah, absolutely, let's go. So let's go back to 37. Go back to the text. The word love there, when he's talking about loving the Lord your God, the vertical love first, right? The word love there means agapal. Agapao. Say that with me. Agapao. There, you learned some Greek today. Praise the Lord. Agapao. And when it's used of loving God, a vertical love, it means this, to take pleasure in God. To take pleasure in God and prize him above all other things. If I could sum up the love for the Lord your God, it's Jesus over all. Jesus as my greatest love over kids, spouse, work, rest, self. You just name it. Jesus over all. And this is shown through three things. This word encompasses three things. 
Number one, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it means we're growing in an affectionate reverence for him, an affectionate reverence for him. It means that you are growing in a fear of the Lord and a deepening, increasing love for, honor, and desire, and hunger for him. Hunger for him more than anything he can do for you. A hunger for him, his presence with you. It means increasingly longing for his presence, his holiness, his power, his grace, his purity in and through your life. It means that you are not approaching God flippantly. It means you're not approaching God flippantly. And yes, let's get something clear. God is our Father. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, if you've repented of your sin and confessed Him as your Lord and Savior, here's the great news of what this means, the great news of the gospel. God is your Father. But don't forget, loved ones, He's still Almighty God. He's still Almighty God. Yes, our Father. Praise the Lord. Like children, father, daughter, or son to a father. Yes, praise the Lord. But He's still God. We don't approach Him flippantly. Right? It also means that you are growing, I am growing, in loving what God loves. If we love the Lord, we're going to love what He loves. We're going to value what he values in our homes, in the, in the entertainment that we watch or that we listen to, in how we spend our time. We're going to love what he loves in our classrooms, honoring what he honors in our assignments, in our marriages, in our workplaces. We're going to love what he loves even when we are tempted. A love for him is going to trump a love for sin. And we're going to love what he loves and honor and value what he values in the church. Growing in an affectionate reverence for the Lord means that Jesus, get this, remember? It means to take pleasure in God and prize him above all other things. Here's what that means. It is that Jesus is increasingly beautiful to you and not simply useful to you to bail you out of a bad situation that you've got in or something. Jesus is increasingly beautiful to you. Hey, hey, let me ask you a question. Look at your prayer life right now. And let's just be honest. Let's take an evaluation. Do you mainly approach the Lord out of business? Like, Lord, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. Do this. Do that. Do this. Or do you mainly approach him out of pleasure? To say, Lord, I just want to be with you. I just want to abide in your presence. Show me your glory. Your face do I seek. Let's just be honest. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but be honest of where we're at before him. Right? So what or who does your life show you are growing in an affectionate reverence for? Are you growing in affectionate reverence for yourself? I'm the final authority. My preferences should go. Or status in this world. Does it show you're growing in affectionate reverence for sin in your life? Like just letting it go unchecked and not worrying about it. That, that we are called to live in reverence and love before Almighty God. Does our lives show we're growing in reverence for the world and, and man through a fear of man that we're living? That's what we're doing. We're reverencing man over God when we walk in the fear of man. That's why Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man is a snare, but those who trust in the Lord are 
safe? Are you reverencing man? You reverencing the world? Or does your life show that you're reverencing the Lord and what he says to value, honor, and uphold? See, loved ones, here's the truth we need to lock into today. If you reverence the world, don't be surprised when you look like the world. If we as the church reverence the world's attitudes, values, priorities, we can't be surprised when we look like the world. Divided. Engaging in conflict. Don't be surprised when your family looks like the world if that's what you're reverencing at home. Your relationships. Loved ones, let's repent. Let's repent and say, Lord, may you be my greatest love. Lord, I repent of reverencing what over you? Of, of valuing and prizing what? Of taking greater pleasure in who or what over you? Let's repent right now. There is freedom in repentance. Amen? Let us repent together. All right, so a growing love for God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength means we're growing in an affectionate reverence for him. And from the overflow of this, it means we are living with an increasing prompt obedience to him, with a prompt obedience to him. It's a prompt obedience to the word of God through his power at work in us. And as the word is preached and, and as we hear it taught or in our, in our abiding times or in our small groups or in our counseling sessions, whatever it is, as the word exposes our hearts as it will do and shows us the areas we are walking in sin, there's a prompt obedience to it. It's not delaying our obedience. Loved ones, delayed obedience is just disobedience. It's just putting off. Yeah, I know God wants me to, but. Yeah, I know God doesn't want me to make this decision, but. No, 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 loved ones. A prompt obedience shows an increasing love for the Lord. This is why Jesus says in John 14, 23, it says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me. See, there's the vertical love first. He will keep my word. He will obey my word promptly, increasingly. Not perfectly, but when we, when we sin, it's a quick repentance with a prompt obedience. Okay, so, so here's, here's the thing, because we can so easily become like a Pharisee, right? We can so easily become, okay, I got to obey God's word, and then somehow I, God's going to love me more. God doesn't love us more when we obey. I mean, if you're saved in Jesus Christ, his steadfast love is, you've got as much love as he can give. That doesn't change. Praise the Lord. He's not talking about earning God's love through obedience, but true obedience is an overflow of love for God in response to the love that he's shown us. This is why you see it right here on the screen. True obedience flows out of a response of love to God and is never a legalistic requirement to keep for him. That's good news, amen? This is where the Pharisees had it wrong. They thought they would earn more love from God, more favor from God, when it's the opposite. Jesus turns it on his head. You see, and the more that we grow in reverence, the more we grow in true obedience because our love for God increases and then there's the overflow. I don't, I don't want to love my sin more than my Savior. I don't want to engage in that because I love the Lord. And there's an overflow of that. And you see, God says that our obedience is a mark of our love for him. But here's a really cool thing. It's like a, a cycle. The more we obey, the more we grow in love. As we see Christ's power at work in us, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we obey him. Are we getting this, loved ones? There it is, the prompt obedience. So question, 
Where are you not walking in obedience? Or where are you delaying your obedience to Christ? Loved ones, repent. Turn from that. Turn to him and you will know his love and his comfort. And say, Lord, grow me in my obedience to you. Strengthen me. So, a love for the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength means a growing affectionate reverence for him. Uh, and from the overflow of that, a prompt obedience to him. And then here it is with all of this, a constant gratitude towards him. Agapao, a constant gratitude towards him. This means that you live with a grateful recognition for the benefits received from the Lord in each situation, no matter what you are facing. Yes, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you always have reason to rejoice. And if you are not saved in Jesus Christ, you have reason to be grateful to God for his mercy extending towards you, right? See, gratitude is such a, we've got to understand this, loved ones. Gratitude is such a powerful weapon against greed, against despair, against fear, against anxiety, against complaining and negativity and cynicism, all the signatures of this world. Gratitude is such a powerful weapon against that. Why? Because these attitudes, negativity, anxiety, cynicism, complaining, all of this, get what they're motivated by. They're motivated by a love for self a love for self and the pride of, here's what we're ultimately saying when we grumble and complain about where God has us. I know better than you, God. I know how things are supposed to go. I know better. Hey, stop, full stop for a second. Are you sure you know better than God? I think any of us would agree here. Actually, I don't. So let's stop grumbling. Let's stop complaining about what he has allowed into our lives, into your life, into my life, for our good and for his glory. See, these attitudes that we carry in, this negativity, this greed, this despair, all of this stuff, they work, here's what they do. They work to make you discontent. Do you ever notice that? The more negative you get, the more discontent you are. The more discontent you are, the more negative you get. You see it all the time, it's a vicious cycle. They work to make you discontent with what God has provided. And hear this, loved ones, these attitudes, these postures will never lead you to a greater love for Jesus. Negativity will never lead you to a greater love for Jesus. Complaining will never lead you to a greater love for Jesus. Grumbling will never lead you to a greater love for, say it, Jesus. That's right. Because a life lived in love for God that is growing in love for God, is marked by an increasing gratitude to God. Is marked by an increasing gratitude to God. So question, how about you? How's your attitude of gratitude these days? Right here in the middle of the pandemic. How's your attitude of gratitude? To say, Lord, this is hard but I want to thank you that you have provided what? I thank you for showing your grace to me through, your mercy to me through. I want to thank you for, what, what, what is that for you? How's your attitude of gratitude? Right in the middle of the pandemic, in regathering as a church. Yes, Lord, it may not look the same, but I thank you so much that I can be with my brothers and sisters, hearing the word of God, proclaiming in prayer, in worship and fellowship. Oh, thank you, Lord. How about this in your job? 
Are we more characterized by discontent with where God has us or gratitude to say, thank you, Lord, for this provision? How about this, parents? Here's a convicted one. How about with our children? Are we complaining about our children? Maybe not even verbally, but in our hearts, we're complaining about that kid. And are we complaining about them to others? Smearing our children's reputation to others? Really? Discontent? Like, like so often as parents, we want to parent kids that don't need parenting. What? What makes you think they wouldn't need parenting? Or are we filled with gratitude to say, yes, Lord, this is hard and this is pressing me, but you are with me. You will give me all I need to parent these children today. Thank you for their precious lives. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you in our marriages, loved ones. Let the attitude of gratitude permeate and watch what God does and how that grows us in our love for him. How about this with the benefits of the gospel? It's really hard to have a bad day when you and I remember what we've received through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we've been chosen, we've been adopted, we've been, uh, we are being sanctified in the truth by the power of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has promised to be with us. We have an inheritance that can't be shaken. Jesus' steadfast love for us is unchanging and he will only work out of uh, his glory and for our good in what we face. It's really hard to have a dead, bad day when you remember the benefits we have through the gospel. All right, are we preaching the gospel to ourselves? The strength God supplies, the grace he supplies, even in the midst of all that's going on. Hey, loved ones, there are the three things that are encompassed by that word agapeo, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And, and, and hey, what's your next step? Just look at that list. What's your next step to grow in your love for the Lord? Here's a great prayer to start us off. Ready? Just a simple little prayer that's going to underline all the rest of the growth. Ready? Lord, help me to love you more. Amen? Lord, help me to love you more. Just pray that in your chair right now. Lord, help me to love you more. I see so many other things that I'm loving right now. I see the complaining. I see the discontent. Lord, help me to love you more. Amen? Amen. See, the motive for our mission must be love. It must be love. And we must love God with all that we are, this total devotion. And from the overflow of this, here it is, we must love others as ourselves. What does this look like? A constant affection. A constant affection. See, Jesus calls you to love your neighbor. But will you love them as yourself? Will you love them as yourself? Look at the last two verses, 39 and 40. Let's go. And a second is like it, Jesus goes on to say. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus then gives the second command that overflows out of the first one, a love for neighbor as self. And again, the word for love here is the same word, agapao, but loved ones, as you know, this is where context is key. You need to read the Bible in context, all right? Agapao, when it is used from a love from a person to another person, okay, means actively choosing to do what the Lord prefers in the life of another by his power and direction. You see, we're not called to reverence people. That love is for the reverence of the Lord. But now it's loving, actively choosing to do what the Lord prefers in the life of another by his power, the Lord's power and direction. It's choosing. Like Jesus, God's will 
and obeying it in his power in word, in thought, and in action. All right? And who's our neighbor? Who's your neighbor? What does he mean by love your neighbor? Is that the person who lives right next door to me or behind me or across the street? Who's he talking about? Well, here, here's what he means by this. You'll see it on the screen. It means, the, the word Greek word for neighbor there literally means nearby. It means nearby. And it means any other person, any other person, irrespective of age, gender, race, or religion. Any other person irrespective of their vaccine status. Any other person, irrespective of their political viewpoint, with whom we live or have a chance to meet. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're my neighbor. Now turn to the other side and say, you're my neighbor. Anyone nearby. And I want you to notice something. See there in verse 39, Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's an active imperative, and it means there's no exceptions. You say, oh, that person's kind of weird, and maybe we just don't get along. We don't just gel with the same thing. There's no exceptions. You shall love your neighbor is yourself. It doesn't matter if you're here. And I know this is hard sometimes, loved ones. I'm there with you too. But when you're feeling sick, when you're feeling tired, when you're hungry and you're just like, I want people to love me and serve me and do this. And there's no exceptions on here. Or, or here's a big one. He says, you shall love your neighbor even if you don't think they deserve it. Even if they have hurt you before. And you may say, and you may look at this and say, well, actually, this is a pretty sweet deal. It's a pretty sweet deal because love your neighbor is yourself. So Jesus must be calling me to love myself more, right? Because if I'm going to love others more, then I really need to love myself more, right? Right? Good news, huh? Everyone say, he's not saying that. Go ahead. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. See, Jesus is not commanding us to love ourselves more so that we can love others more. You notice the assumption he makes in the text? Jesus assumes we're doing a great job of loving ourselves already. And he's right, isn't he? He means here that we are to measure our love for others by what we would wish for ourselves. And we have a responsibility to seek the greatest and highest good of others, even if we're not feeling like it. See, love, true love, is a God-empowered choice. Now, I want you to look around today, church. Hey, do you, do you think the world would notice if we lived like this? if we followed and upheld this command in obedience to Christ? Do you think the world would notice this in, in this culture that is just like blanketed with anger and conflict and division and selfishness and confusion and despair, right? See, this call that Jesus makes here, this command is not optional, it's radical. 
It's radical. And, and a love for God, a growing love for God and, and our neighbor as ourself is one of the greatest defenses of the gospel, the truth of the gospel in our culture today. Would you agree? You don't have to have all your apologetic arguments lined up. Just, hey, don't be harsh when someone cuts you off in traffic. Don't be rude back when someone's rude to you and they're like, well, wait a second, I expected you to be rude. I expected you to cancel culture me because I, I like a different political candidate or something like that. It, 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 there's the defense of the gospel in our culture today. That's where this culture has led us to. Loved ones, loved ones, this is a love that says, I'm not out for my greatest good but yours. Do you think the culture would notice that? Do you think it would notice the love that says, I'm not seeking attention for myself. I don't need to be front and center. But I'm going to give the attention that I would like to you. I'm going to invest in you. It's a love that says, well, you've hurt me in the past, but by Christ's power in me, I'm choosing to respond in love and forgiveness and not anger. I will forgive you and not hold a grudge. Why? Because my measure of love towards you is not based on what you've done for me, but on what Christ has done for me. Amen. It is a love as 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. I just love this passage. Highlight this again and again. Write this down. Here, here, here is a love your neighbor as yourself love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not sitting there in um, covetousness and holding grudges and you know, envying what peop people for the positions they have or the possessions they have. It's not boasting themselves. It's making its boast in Christ. It is not arrogant. Love is not rude. It's not rude. There's so much rudeness in the world today, cutting down words and, and behavior of other people. Love is not rude. Godly love does not insist on its own way. Here's what that means. It doesn't make its preferences the final say, but does what God's preferences are for that person in his power. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. You know, in the heart, it's so easy to say, okay, yeah, I totally love you. And then we're hanging on to stuff in the heart. True love is not irritable or resentful. We need to cast that on the Lord. Say, Lord, help me to love as you love. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Man, there's, there is the description of our world today. Rejoicing at wrongdoing, laughing at sin, excusing sin, minimizing it like it's no big deal. True love never does that. We speak the truth in love to one another because we know that when we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. We're not going to rejoice at that. But it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It, there is no cancel culture in godly love for our neighbor. Love believes all things and hopes all things. What does that mean? It believes the best about people. Man, it's so easy. Do you ever struggle with assuming the worst about people? Oh, they looked at me that way, or that email didn't sound right, or, or that conversation, you know, that tone they used. Oh, and we just assume the worst of others. Loved one, biblical love, loving your neighbor as yourself. Listen, it believes the best about people. 
It believes the best about people. It hopes for the best for people. It doesn't, it doesn't rejoice when others are weeping and it doesn't weep when others are rejoicing. It believes the best and hopes for the best. And it endures all things. It's convicting, isn't it? But that's the call. That's the command. That's the privilege. You see, Jesus calls you to love your neighbor, friends. Will you love them as yourself? Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, will you love them as yourself? Now, I want you to notice verse 40. Jesus finishes with this. He says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, the word depend there means hang upon. When something hangs upon, that means every other command in God's word flows out of these two. A love for God with all that we are and a love for our neighbor as ourself with a constant affection. And if we are to stay faithful on mission and see Jesus exalted over all, it has to come from these two commands increasingly being fulfilled. And you may sit there and you may be like, man, love neighbor as yourself, affectionate reverence for God, prompt obedience. I can't do this. I can't do this. Everyone, let's say that together. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. And I want to encourage us today with this beautiful truth. Write it down. Here it is. God will not ask from you what he's not first willing to do in you. Amen. God will not ask from you or I what he's not first willing to do in us. And here's great news today, friends. Let's go. God has not left us on our own. Amen. Remember how Jesus said, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. See, God saw us in our sin and in the greatest act of love of all time, he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, paying the penalty for our sin that separates us from him and the greatest penalty of sin, eternity in hell apart from the presence of God. And Jesus died and he rose again and now he makes his power available to all who've repented of their sin and confessed him as Lord and Savior. You see, loved ones, here's what this means. Ready? Great news. Jesus did the impossible. Jesus did the impossible and he perfectly fulfilled these commands to love God with all that we are, with a total devotion to the Father and to love others as ourselves. Listen, Jesus never did anything unless it was out of love for those he was ministering to. Praise the Lord. There was not one second when he was not perfectly fulfilling these commands. And he says it right here in Matthew 5, 17. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish that Old Testament law. No, 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 no. I haven't come to abolish the law or the prophets. Guess what? I have come to fulfill them. Amen. He fulfilled them perfectly. And church family, I want to encourage us with this today. In Jesus Christ, it's not about our perfection. Will we fail at this at times? Will we choose to sin over choosing to love? Yes. But it's not about our perfection, but it is about our affection, a growing affection for the Lord and perseverance in his power. Say, Lord, help me to love you more. Being so quick to repent when we have sinned and say, Lord, help me to love you more. It's not about our perfection. It's about our affection and our perseverance in his power. 
he will fulfill his mission through love as we seek to keep him preeminent and exalt him in all things. The question is, will you trust him and surrender to him? Will we corporately as a church trust him and surrender to him? And if you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your first step to growing in your love for the Lord and knowing his love for you and being able to love like he commands, loving like this, is to repent of your sin and confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It is absolutely impossible to love this way. This is supernatural love. You cannot love this way apart from him. That's why he says in John 15, 5, apart from you, apart from me, you can do nothing. Will you come to him today? Say, Jesus, I confess my sin and I confess you as my Lord and Savior. Will you come to him today? And brothers and sisters in Christ, will we humble ourselves before him, repent of where we're not loving and living like this and take our next steps to follow him? Oh Lord, help us to love you more and live faithfully on mission for you. Amen. With Jesus over all. In us and through us. Let's pray. Well, Jesus Christ, what a command. What a call. Lord, even as I preach this word today, I, I, I feel so small and and I'm recognizing my inability to live and love this way, to love you with all that I am in total devotion and to love my neighbor as myself. Oh Lord, we need you so much for this. And I pray right now all across this room, there would not be a spirit of condemnation, but there would be a spirit of hope, Lord, and just a, a, a conviction and a repentance and then the sweet comfort of God that follows us. And prayer after prayer of Lord, help me to love you be flowing from our hearts. Oh Lord, the motive for our mission must be love. Help us, lead us, guide us, strengthen us to love you with all that we are and to love our neighbor as ourselves in this world that is crying out for it. And may many people see and know that we are yours by our love for you, for one another, and for this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Loved ones, will you respond and stand in worship with us today?